If you brought your copy of God's Word with you this morning, I'm going to invite you to open with me to the book of James. We started our study through the book of James a couple of weeks back now. This is our third, our third lesson, our third sermon in this book. Last week, <clears throat> we looked at verses, in chapter 1, we looked at verses 2 through 4 of our need to have a right attitude and a right perspective toward trials that will inevitably, um, that we will face them inevitably in life uh, as, as we've all um, made note of. There's not one of us in here probably who have not faced trials, and if you haven't, um, just be of good cheer because it's not a matter of if but when. And we saw from verse 2, uh, 3 and 4, uh, some commands. And now, you may remember last week, I pointed out that this word here, consider, was in the imperative. And that in the imperative in the Greek, when that translates into English, that's a command in, in our English. And, and in, in our passage last week, I pointed out one of those imperatives. And so this morning, I'm going to point out two other imperatives that were in the passage last week in setting up our passage this morning which is in chapter 5, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 5 through verse 12. And I'm going to be talking about our need in trials. And the thing that we need in trials, as we're going to see today in those verses 5 through 12, is wisdom and perspective. So we looked at consider, that was an imperative. Knowing was also an, in the, is an, an imperative. And this word let. These three words or in the imperative that let us know that this is God speaking to us, giving commands. And commands are things that we need to do. So when we are to consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials, not to consider your trials as, as it says right here, not to do this, not to consider your trials as joy would be, considered as crazy as this sounds, but from a biblical perspective, from the text, it would be sin in our lives. God is wanting to prepare us for trials. He had James write a God-inspired word to give us knowledge so that we could know some things. And so the next thing we saw in verse 3 was the knowing part. We're commanded to know this. We're not to be ignorant of the reality that trials will be coming into our lives. We're not to be ignorant of these things. This is something that God is commanding us to know. And specifically, He's commanding us to know that the testing of your faith will be producing in you endurance. You need to know that. You need to know that so that whenever you are going through those various trials, you can actually do what God tells you to do and consider it in a particular way. Rather than thinking that God no longer loves me or God loves somebody better than me because look at the circumstances in their life, they always seem to be favorable and the circumstances in my life always seem to be on the wrong side of the tracks. Why is that, God? You must love others more than me. We need to consider these things knowing that the testing of your faith produces something in you. God's good work in the life of His children is the production of endurance. Remember Philippians 2, we, we looked at that last week, Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13. We're told in verse 12 as believers that we are to be working out our salvation. Remember that one? We're not working for it. 
It's, you don't work for it. It's a free gift of God, but you work it out. Verse 13 says, because God is what? He's at work in you to willing to work for his good pleasure. This right here is, the, is some of the good work of God in you. And so we're commanded to know that the testing of our faith, which is these various trials that we will be facing, that God's at work in us producing endurance. Endurance, we saw, was from the, uh, the, the metanoia, the Greek metanoia, which meant the capacity to continue to bear up under difficult circumstances. God is producing you a capacity to continue throughout the course of your life to bear up under more trials because they're coming. Not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And if you've lived a long enough years in life, you, you know this to be true. Amen. With youth comes lack of perspective, and sometimes youth might see this and say, I've never had any trials. Remember those glorious days, adults? I do. Seems like they were just yesterday. So enjoy them while you have them, if you've yet to endure those kinds of trials, but they're coming. So we're commanded to consider, we're commanded to know, and not doing these things to us would be sin. And then the last thing we saw that we need to be mindful of is here in verse 4, this too is in the imperative force in the Greek text, this word let. Let. God is commanding us to accept the process of gaining endurance in our life. There's a command from God on our lives to let endurance have its Perfect result. Isn't that good? The goodness of God. Warren Wiersbe, he said, God cannot build character without cooperation. But if we submit to him, then he can accomplish his work. This is why I kind of refer to this as what I call a glad submission. A glad submission to the will of God for our lives a life that is surrendered to the will of God, a life that accepts the trials in life as if from the Father's hand, knowing that God's goal for your life is not simply happiness, but a happy holiness, a life set apart unto Him. So verse 4, let endurance have its perfect result in you. And then notice right here, so that... So that, why? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And last week we looked at perfect and complete more thoroughly, so if you need more information on those, go back and look at last week's message. But I made reference to this being perfect and complete, lacking in nothing, is God's work in us preparing us for glory. An ultimate time of glorification, and we're going to see a connection with this even in our passage Again, this morning. And now, this brings us to our fourth imperative in our text this morning in verse 5, which, in staying in context, uh, verse 5 continues in the same context of dealing with trials and suffering. And James is going to show two things that we need to possess if we are going to weather trials in a God honoring fashion. The first, from verse 5 through 8, is wisdom. And then secondly, from verse 9 down through verse 12, is 
I'm calling it a heavenly perspective. We need to have the ability to, to see things from heaven's perspective sometimes so that we can build upon that endurance the good work that God's doing in us. And we can cooperate with that. We can have a glad submission to what God is doing in our lives. Amen? So look at verse 5 and notice the next imperative James gives. He says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. This verb right here is the next imperative in our text. We are commanded to ask of God. And when you're asking God for something, what oftentimes do we call that? Prayer. Prayer. When you're, you're talking to God and you're, you're asking for wisdom, you're in communication with God, we call that prayer. And we see very specifically right here that it says, if any of you lacks something, wisdom, and I said one of the things that James is going to show us that we need in order to respond rightly to trials in our lives is wisdom. So if you're lacking wisdom, go to God in prayer and ask of God. This is the simplicity of what James is, is pushing us to here. And so if we don't do this, again, since it's an imperative, if we don't go to God in prayer and ask God for wisdom in the, con in the midst of our trials, to us, again, that would be sin, because God is saying, this is what I want you to do. Now, let me ask you a simple question. Why would we need wisdom when going through trials? Why would we not ask to be, the Scriptures say, and um, ask God to relieve you of those trials, or ask God for a healing from those trials, or ask God to set you free from the, the consequences of these trials. Instead, it says, ask for wisdom. Why wisdom first? It seems that God does not want us to waste the opportunities that He's given us to grow in the endurance, the very work that He's building in us and producing in us, as he is making us meet for heaven. I think it was the Apostle Paul who prayed three times to the Lord that he would remove the thorn of flesh from him, and God replied to him, No, my grace is sufficient for you in your time of need. You can grow spiritually through such trials and suffering. So rather than running from them and thinking wrongly about them, that somehow God is not loving me, we need to do as James has said. We need to think rightly about them. We need to consider them as joy because it's producing in us the wisdom, that it's producing us the endurance that God is wanting us to have to make us perfect and complete, lacking in nothing until the day of our glorification. You see, God's end game for you isn't just your happy life and holy life here on planet Earth. He's going to spend eternity with you forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. I could say that forever, and it's, that's what it is. It's for all eternity. Isn't that good? And so he's commanding us to pray. And when we do, what does James say that God will do? And before we look at that real quick, the lacking of wisdom while going through, tri through, through trials and suffering I just wanted to briefly make a point of clarification. James isn't talking about suffering or trials that come into our lives as a result of our sin. 
the hand of discipline that comes from the Lord, Hebrews chapter 12, without which the scriptures say that if you don't receive discipline from the hand of Lord, from the, from your, from the Lord your God, as a result of sin in your life, then you're, you're an illegitimate child. You're not one of God's children. So if you're out there sinning and God's bringing discipline into your life and it feels like suffering and trials, that's not what James is talking about. James is talking about suffering trials of sorts that come onto you from outside sources, things that are outside of your control, things that a sovereign hand from God has allowed to come into your life and touch your life. These are the things that James is talking about. Listen, we don't lack wisdom to knowing why we are suffering when we're living in sin if we just simply know that God loves us and is disciplining us. We need wisdom when going through trials, and we lack it oftentimes because we have an adversary, the devil, who comes knocking somehow, just like he did in the garden. Did God really say, well, he said not to eat from the tree of the... Did he really say that, or did he say something a little bit close to that or a little bit off kilter from that? The the adversary is still in the business of what? Being the father of lies and getting us to think wrongly about the trials that God has allowed to touch our lives, and oftentimes we wrongly assume that God doesn't love me or he wouldn't allow such trial to touch my life. And so we lack wisdom oftentimes to think rightly about these trials. And so James is saying, God is saying to us, pray. And notice what happens when we do. When we ask God, who, God, it says he gives to all generously and without reproach. Generously translates a Greek word which carries the idea of singleness of heart of doing something unconditionally without bargaining. The only condition to get the wisdom of God when going through trials is that we ask. Is that we demonstrate through our lives by the getting on of our knees and the closing of our eyes and the settling of ourselves and being still and knowing that God is our God and talking with Him in private. When we do that, we demonstrate to Him that we are His. And we ask. That's the only thing. And He gives generously. The only condition is that we ask and without reproach. Generously without reproach. Reproach translates a Greek word that means to severely reprimand. Without reproach. So when you go to God asking for wisdom in your trials, He's not going to chide you for not asking sooner or for even having to ask in the first place. Does that make sense? He's not going to say, why are you asking? Don't you already know these things? Without reproach. It's like God knows that there's going to be times in our lives that we're going to lack wisdom in dealing with trials and thinking rightly about them. He knows that it's going to be difficult for us to consider, to let, and to know certain things perfectly all the time. And so he says, when that happens, come to me in prayer, and I'm going to generously give to you wisdom again that's going to come from God's Word to rightly see how trials can be of good purpose in our lives. And he's going to do that without reproach, without chastisement. And that should be good news to us. It should keep us coming to the Lord humbly, asking him for such wisdom. 
So let me just ask you a simple question. Do you really believe that God has your best interest at heart? I mean, really? And I'm going to ask you to remember these things the next time severe trials come into your life. And perhaps there's some of you here this morning that have severe trials already coming in and hammering into your lives already. I do not know, but you know. And you need to know that God, as a child, as a child of God, He has your best interest at heart, and He has allowed such trials to touch you, to produce in you endurance. How do I know that? He gave us a book. And he had James write it for us, and it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's a word from God, and we can stand on it like the rock. So when the winds and waves of, and trials of life come crashing in, we are left standing. Amen? I told you, if you're, if you're going to memorize any chapter out of the entire Bible, James chapter 1 is the one chapter you must memorize. You, will, you live in James chapter 1. You don't realize it yet, but you will by the time we get finished with James chapter 1. You're, you live life in James chapter 1. Think about the thoughts that you have. As, have you ever noticed how you, you, you kind of talk to yourself, you think to yourself as you're going throughout the day? Does anybody else do that other than Matt? <laughs> there are, you have thoughts that are flowing through your head all the time, and I'm telling you, you think about it, you live right here. We need this. <laughs> we need this. The adversary is trying to steal, kill, and destroy. He's trying to make you feel like a, a mess of nothingness because trials have touched your life. And our temptation is to blame God for it. We need this. This is where we live. Jesus, in a Sermon on the Mount, in answering that question of, do we believe that God has our best interest at heart? He said in Matthew seven eleven, Jesus said, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? And what did James say? Ask. For what? <coughs> Wisdom. When? When you're going through the various trials of your life and you're trying to consider it joy. Lord, please remind me why I need to consider this joy. Oh yes, your word tells me I consider it joy because you're producing in me endurance because, Lord, this really hurts. This, this hurts deeply. So I'm clinging to the truth that through it, and by me having a glad submission to you, you are producing in me the character of Christ. And someday I will be found perfect and complete in him, lacking nothing. And there I will stand. So help me, God. And we pray and we ask for wisdom. And Jesus says, your father knows how to give good to all who ask. Ask. Your life will be filled with trials and tribulation, various trials. It will. And I don't know the sorts of which, but God does. And when that time comes and you're struggling, ask. He's a good God. He has your best interest at heart. However, James is going to show us, and we need to see this, that God, 
though wanting to produce his perfect work in us and complete that good work of conforming us into the image of Jesus into our lives, um, it becomes, um, I'd say, difficult if we uh, are doing what we see James says we should not be doing in verse 6. And this is why we need to ask for wisdom. Notice verse 6, but he must ask in faith. Ask for what? Ask for wisdom in faith. He must ask in faith, so it's connecting to the verse right before it. If you're lacking wisdom, ask of God. He will generously supply to you without reproach. But you must ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. When we ask God for wisdom, when going through trials, we are either going to ask in faith, believing, though not yet seeing how this trial is going to work together for my good and for my spiritual growth, or we're going to find ourselves doubting that this trial in life could be for such good purposes. In church, that in and of itself is an issue as I just made mention of spiritual warfare. And I made mention, I kind of jumped ahead a little bit in my nose, but I made mention of the, of the example in Genesis 2 where our adversary is crafty and he lies. He said to the woman, Indeed, God has said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. So we, we know that we have an adversary we know that we have this spiritual warfare that's going on in our lives. And so when we come asking God, we need to be mindful of that so that we don't find ourselves doubting when we get up off our knees. Because when we get up off our knees and we continue to look at our lives, what do we see? We see the same conflict. We see the same struggle. We see the same trial. We see the same whatever it is. And then perhaps the next day it's the same, and then the next day or the next week it perhaps is the same. And so we keep asking because we're lacking wisdom. And we have to be careful that we don't turn ourselves into a doubting Thomas, doubting that God is allowing something so glorious and good in our life as the production of endurance, making us meet for heaven. Because James says, the one who doubts... And notice the visual imagery that he gives us here. He paints a picture in our minds. It's like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. You can kind of see the surf of the sea, can't you? The foaming up of the surf of the sea and how it just moves along. It's driven along, tossed here and there by any given wind that comes our way. And this is what our adversary, the devil, wants to do in our lives. He wants to make us doubters, and in the process of making us doubters, we become those who are double-minded. We become those who are, yes, God loves me and he's good. Well, maybe he's not good, and maybe he doesn't. No, I think he really does. Well, no, I think maybe he's not. Perhaps he is, but perhaps he's not. We become double-minded. We have one foot in the Word, and we have one foot out of the Word in the world. We have one inner voice that's hearing the words of God, the still small, small voice that comes from the scriptures, and then we hear a doubting voice that's in there that's saying, but if he really loved you the way you're reading these scriptures, then that wouldn't continue like this. 
And James very bluntly says in verse 7, and we need to see this, we need to be mindful of this, that that person, that man, ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. So if we go to the Lord in prayer, and we get up, and we find ourselves doubting later on in the day, James is saying that we, that, that, we, that person, ought not to expect that we're going to receive from the Lord the very things that he told us that he was going to give us. Where's my verse? Here we go. When you need wisdom, which is what he says he's going to give, if you lack it, you ask for it, and he will give it to you generously. But if we're doubters, and we're tossed around like the surf of the sea, by every wind and crafty thinking that comes from our adversary, the devil, we shouldn't expect that we're going to receive from the Lord the wisdom that we ask for. Because the scripture is saying that we're, we're, we become double-minded. And double-minded people, it says, are unstable in all their ways. And having done Christian counseling since 1999, basically, I've seen a lot of instability in the lives of believers. And it, and it stems from... Because like I said, we live, we live life in James chapter 1. It stems from our ability to do what James and God through his word is commanding us to do. We fail to consider, we fail to know, we fail to let, and we even fail to ask the way that God commands us to do so. And I don't know about you, but... Um, This unstable person, unstable in all his ways, double-minded, not, not expecting to receive any wisdom from God with regard to trials. I don't know about you, but that's not our best life to be lived now, is it? Without question, we're like the surf of the sea that's tossed and driven by every wind and wave. John Bunyan in his classic Pilgrim's Progress has a name for this said believer and he called him Mr. Facing Both Ways. Mr. Facing Both Ways. I think what James is calling us to do is to go broke for God and throw all your chips in and go all with God. It's kind of like an all-or-nothing proposition. God wants all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness. All the other things that you need in life will be added unto you. Let's not be Mr. or Mrs. facing both ways. It reminded me of the passage in Matthew 14, 28. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. It's hard to see Jesus when we're so focused on our trials. It seems that the Lord's wanting us and was teaching Peter and us through Peter that when we keep our eyes on Christ, 
When we say, Lord, save us. Lord, I need wisdom. He's right there. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said, You of little faith, why did you ever doubt? Why do we ever doubt God's goodness in our lives with regard to trials? It's because we fail to understand a biblical perspective on trials and how trials can be for our good. Last week, I gave us four specific uh, scriptural injunctions on how trials are for our good. If you missed last week, you can go back and listen to that message online. But here in his life, I don't know, you know, the culture is saying all kinds of things as to here's how you manage and behavior modification this. But I'm just telling you, here in his life, <laughs> go broke on God. Throw all your chips in. Let's not be those who are doubting. Amen? Because as soon as Peter took his eyes off of Christ, we know in verse 30 that he began to sink. And we know in verse 31 that as soon as he cried back out to him, ask. James says, if you lack wisdom, ask. So listen, Mr. Facing both ways is sometimes both sinking and crying out kind of at the exact same time. And so God is wanting to produce in you an endurance that helps you stay right here because over the course of your life, he knows the, the things that he's going to allow to touch your life and he's going to use those things to make you meet for heaven. And immediately, as soon as we keep crying out to Jesus, he's right there. He's just saying, why did you ever doubt me? I've always been right there waiting for you every step of the way. So our first point is that we need divine wisdom to help keep our heads above water. Amen? Anybody ever recognize your need for wisdom in facing trials? I, 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 I'm one. If there's just one, it's me. And I think we've all been there. Second point, and, I, and this is really good, the second point deals with our need to have a heavenly perspective when facing trials of being able to look at them through a lens that's not just our own eyes, our own worldly lens, but to have a lens that we see from scriptures that helps us look at trials so that we can think of them from God's perspective. And James does this for us, beginning in verse 9. Notice what he says. He says, But the brother of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. So a quick question, who is the brother in humble circumstances in this context? We're in a context... Who are the brother? Who is the brother? Or we might say the brothers and sisters. Remember chapter 1, verse 1, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. He's writing to believers who are facing great persecution, not because of anything of their own, but because they've come to faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result of coming to faith in Jesus Christ, we looked in the book of Acts, we looked at about four or five different verses, and we saw that persecution broke out against the church. And they were dispersed. They got run out of town, we would say. And they, they lost everything. So the brother of humble circumstances in this context is that brother, the beleaguered Christian, who has lost everything. But notice. Notice what the text says. 
It says that brother of, humble, of said humble circumstances, the difficult circumstances, they're to do something. And what is it? Notice this. They're to glory in their high position. James is wanting to give you a perspective on how God sees what's going on in your life. You see yourself as the brother of humble circumstances who's lost everything. Heaven sees you as an individual who has gained everything when you gain Christ. And so rather than valuing yourself based on your, your worldly possessions and your worldly goods, value, find your value in who you are in relationship with Christ. Because when you have a relationship with Christ, you've been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And so you can even lose everything in, in this world as these brothers of humble circumstances did and still be called to glory where? In your high position as you sit in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus because the best thing they could do for you ultimately is take your life and send you to glory early. What a heavenly perspective. That's what James clearly seems to be saying in this context to these brothers of humble circumstances. You need to glory in your high position and what a high position we have indeed in Christ. Amen? Are you seeing that? William McDonald says, Any trial that weans us away from the love of passing things and sets our affections on things above is a blessing in disguise. Do you agree with that? Not tepidly. We need to have hearts that wholeheartedly agree that though they may take everything I own, I have a high position because I'm a child of the living God. And that's the very reason for which these believers were suffering. Now notice the contrast in verse 10. And the rich man is the glory in his humiliation, because like flowering grass, he will pass away. So who's the rich man in this context? It would seem contextually that this is any person who is presently hooves on the ground, the original recipients of the book of James, the 12 tribes who just got dispersed abroad. It would seem contextually that this is any person who is presently living at ease from the persecution undertaken by these dispersed believers for having come to faith in Jesus. In other words, individuals who do not know Christ as Lord and who repudiated Christ at the preaching of Peter on the day of Pentecost. And it would seem that James is writing this to who? Oh, he's writing it to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. He's not writing it to these individuals. He's writing it to the believers to see these words, and he's saying to them, you perhaps may look at them as the lucky ones. Don't doubt that what God is doing in your life is for your good when you look back and you see that they're still living in ease. They're still living in their homes. They're still doing life as normal. And here I am, having been dispersed from my homeland, and I'm suffering. So he's writing to them, and he's saying that those individuals ought to be glorying in their humiliation. And what would their humiliation be? Their humiliation would be that they are going to pass away apart from knowing Christ. And they don't know it, but you do. 
So who would you really rather be? Would you rather be the person as you are going through persecutions, knowing that your high position is in heaven because you put your faith in Christ? Or would you rather be living at ease like those rich guys over there who seem to have everything going on perfectly in life, but they don't know Jesus. They should be glorying in their humiliation because they're going to pass away not knowing him. You want the high position or you want the low position? And which one do you really think you have? Because sometimes we as Christians think we've got the low position and they've got the high position. And James is, is turning that coin upside down and he's giving them a heavenly perspective on how to view their, these trials in their lives to keep them from being doubters when they go to ask God for wisdom. And wow, this is one great way in which to do that very thing. Can you not see how this might become a point of temptation for believers? We, you can see that, right? They heard Peter preaching it on the, day, on the day of Pentecost, and they said, I do believe that Jesus rose from the dead. How else could all these signs and wonders be taking place? And they come to faith, and they believe, and it says 3,000 were added to their, to their number that day. Persecution started there quickly afterwards. They get dispersed, and now they're sitting there going, wow, was that really the right decision? Peter is saying, it absolutely is. Don't forget, you're, you're the one in the high position. Glory in that. Glory in the fact that you know Christ because these people that you think you might want to be like, their glory is in their humiliation. They're passing away without knowing Christ. And in verse 11, he gives some color commentary uh, on these sad unbelievers who, who don't know Christ and, and who don't understand that this is the reality for them. He says, For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass, and its flower falls off, and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed, so too, and he's using this term, the rich man, in the midst of his pursuits, again, will fade away. James is showing them that though they are suffering greatly, if they would but learn to see life from heaven's perspective, by comparison, theirs is the high position, theirs is the coveted position, and like a well-driven nail, James hammers the case shut by saying all others who know not Christ will, as he said over here, are passing away, it's to their humiliation, they're fading away, same concept, fading away, life will be here, it's over, it's gone, and all they're going to be known for were their measly pursuits on earth. And then the memory of that will even fade very quickly. And then to top it off, notice, this is the, this is the well-driven nail, and this brings it full circle. Notice James 1.12. So he says to these beleaguered believers who have been dispersed, who are probably needing wisdom for the trials that they are facing in life. He says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So our, our word blessed here is from this Greek word that pertains to being, notice this, Watch this. Pertains to being happy with the implication. So what's implied in this, the implication is that of enjoying favorable circumstances. The irony of, of it all, right? 
The implicate, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Why do we consider them joy? This, this brings us back, right? Why are we to consider this as all joy? This brings us full circle. The irony of this. We are those with a high position. We are those who should recognize this as favorable circumstances. Why? Why, church, do we look at our trials as favorable circumstances? Because God's doing His good work in you. He's producing in you an endurance that He knows you're going to need to make it through your sojourning on earth so that you don't become Mr. Looking Both Ways in every circumstance in life, thus unstable in all your ways, one foot in, one foot out, never knowing if God's love is good enough for you. What a miserable Christian life to live. Happy is the man, implication, favorable circumstances, who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So again, we come full circle. Remember right here the so that? And let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God's making you ready for heaven. Come full circle. Notice when you persevere, and here's, here we got endurance. We got endurance, and we got perseverance. Same Greek word. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Approved. Receiving a crown of life which the Lord has promised. I'm telling you, he's, he's making you meet for heaven, believer. You need, we, need to, we need to think rightly about these things in life so that when trials hit, we can think rightly about them. We need wisdom from God to learn, to learn how to think rightly about trials, and we need God's heavenly perspective on how to think about trials. Who's got the high position? You've got the high position. Did I, I never once said that the, the circumstances of your, of your trials and the suffering was, was like joyful in and of itself. Like, oh yes, uh, let me sign up, God, for just multitudes of that. That's not what we're saying at all. We're saying that while you're going through that, you're looking beyond that to what God's producing in you, and thus you can consider it joyful, realizing the favorable circumstances that you really are under, that of God growing you spiritually, making you ready for heaven. It's that, it's that beautiful, and it's that simple. Are you seeing it? And I was going to connect the persevere right here. Perseveres under trial, hupomeno. And I was going to show you, I made the connection over here. I was saying, showing you how in verse 4 and verse 12, endurance and perseverance come together with the same Greek word, hupomeno and hupomone both coming from the same root of, of uh, men, which means to remain, stay, and reside. This is the, the, the tightness of James' argument. And this is why we, as we go through chapter 1, I'm going to be trying my best to hold the context together so tightly so that you can see that this is indeed where you will be living your, most of your adult Christian lives. You're going to live here, so you might as well memorize this and get really good at doing this. Amen? No more Mr. Double-faced looking both ways. Let's, let's leave that behind. Let's go all in for God and let's be broke for God because trials are there. They're real. And they hurt. They hurt. We weep with those who weep. We mourn with those who mourn. We really weep and mourn. They do hurt. But we, look, we can look beyond them. And God has given us 
Divine wisdom to help us do that. Divine perspective. The purpose of trials in your life. And this isn't something you sign up for. We don't have a sign-up sheet out back. Oh, if you'd like trials to start this week, please sign up. No. You live your life, and sometimes from nowhere, bam, in comes various trials. So, friends, James gives us everything we need to know how to be successful and bring God honor in our lives in dealing with them. Amen? Come back next week because the context doesn't stop right there. He continues in this same vein. And man, this is so rich. Come back. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth that, that we can grab a hold of and learn to live according to. Because we, we need a sure word from God in order to make our lives the most prosperous and successful and and. Uh, a happy holiness that we can. We need the Word of God. It's our life. So thank you for this little epistle of James. Transform us according to your truth. Help us to think rightly about the things that we're seeing here so that we will be known as your people, the people of God. And Lord, again, if there's one person here this morning who knows not Jesus in this way as Lord and Savior... But they're sensing there's something within them that's tugging and pulling and saying, come home. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of salvation for them and that they would meet me right down here after service and we could talk about how to have that glorious relationship with Christ the Son. And we pray it in Christ's name. And everybody said, Stand, church. We're going to sing one more song this morning.
my worth and my unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom In my Redeemer, greatest treasure, wellspring of my soul. I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him. I rejoice in my Redeemer, greatest treasure. Wellspring of my soul, I will trust in Him, no other. My soul is satisfied in Him alone. Church, go in the wisdom, the love of Christ.